Hello, everyone, and welcome to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. My name is Andrew Mullen, and today's going to be a little bit of a break in format in our usual uh, music discussion. Uh, I'm not joined by my wonderful co-host, Michael Livingston, today. Instead, uh, you're going to be hearing an interview I did with uh, members of a band called Workhorse, or Workhorse Movement. You might, you might know them. Uh, they're, a lo- they're a band from Mount Pleasant, Michigan, uh, and probably the most commercially successful band to come from Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Uh, they were signed to Roadrunners in the late 90s. They released an album called Sons of Pioneers on that label. Um, and they broke up in the year 2000, but they are reuniting for a one-night only uh, reunion show over at Rebels, which is a popular music venue here in Mount Pleasant. Uh, that will be on November 27th, if you can make it. Also playing with local metal metal band Ghazi. If you've never heard of Workhorse or Workhorse Movement, uh, they're a band that formed in the mid-90s. They're kind of a mix of, like, stoner rock, groove metal, and just a lot of different weird influences they take. They're actually pretty cool. Um, I sat down with frontman Matt Koju and, ba- and bassist Jay Vondolaski to talk about uh, the band's history, how they formed, what it was like being a really popular you know, band here in Mount Pleasant during the mid-90s, them getting onto Roadrunner, releasing uh, Sons of Pioneers and their first record, Dopamine, and um, their breakup, Tour of the Disturbed, before that, and, of course, the reunion. Uh, so stick around. It's a really fun interview. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Soundcheck. My name is Andrew Mullen. Um, instead of having my wonderful co-host, Michael Livingston, here with me, I actually got a couple members from a band called Workhorse, or my name is Workhorse Movement. They were probably, I would say, the most su- commercially successful band from Mount Pleasant. I think they might agree with me. Um, we're going to do a bit of an interview today with them. We're going to sit down and talk to them. They're reforming after... Almost 20 years? 25 years almost, right? Well, 25 since the album was re- first album was released. So released, so yeah. 20. So yeah, um, we're going to sit down with them and we're going to talk a bit about their history. But uh, hopefully you'll have, that means you'll be hearing less of my horrible, horrible voice today. Um, do you guys like to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Jay Vondolaski. I play bass for Workhorse. Uh, Myron Singer. And... Uh, What's your name? Matt is my full name. Full name. What are you like, Madonna? Madonna, yes. But way lamer. <laughs> she, she grew up pr- not too far from me in Bay City. I oh, really? In, I grew up in Midland, yeah. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah, there you go. So, Madonna. Yeah. Your name's Matt Koshu, correct? Correct, yeah. Correct. All right. Wasn't sure, wasn't sure that was a secret you wanted to keep. I don't know how many people even know that is my name anymore, you know? <laughs> they just started All calling right. me Myron and stayed that way for a long time. All right, so um, hopefully I think this is going to be a lot of fun today. So um, for, for those who don't know, Workhorse Movement formed when? In 1994, right here in Mount Pleasant, pretty much. Yeah. And how did that come about? What led up to the formation of Workhorse? There was kind of some different variations of it up to one point. Um, you guys had a different singer, guitar mm-hmm. player and singer, and then... Um, and you know things just weren't working out. I remember uh, the drummer. I was pretty good friends with Joe at the time, and uh, he invited us over to a rehearsal, if I remember right. And we were just sitting in the basement. I think the singer didn't show up, so we hopped on the mic and we knew some of the songs. <laughs> you know, some of the cover songs they were doing. So it was just kind of a forty-ouncer basement little jam thing that yeah. some people in the basement knew songs. And uh, I think you know next week or something, Joe was like, "Hey, you should come and." sing with us well yeah. i'm not really a singer but we'll give it a shot so yeah once we got the members kind of figured out we kind of knew the chemistry was right because all of a sudden we went from moving 10 miles an hour to 90 miles an hour and yeah, we were really fast. productive and writing a lot of stuff quickly is that how the name workhorse came about you guys were going like yeah. workhorses kind of sort of yeah we, we were <laughs> we were day and night man 24 7 you were always thinking about always moving and shaking and yeah Trying to figure out some new angle, trying to figure out how to get people to shows and sell things and make money to record and whatever. I mean, we were mm-hmm. relentless for sure. 
So. So. Uh, so, we were talking about this right before um, started rolling. Um, I believe uh, you guys kind of don't like to kind of define yourselves in like a certain genre category. Is that what I... I don't know if it's not don't like to. I don't know that we know how to. I don't know where we fit. Yeah, so I think it's just hard to say you guys are this or that mm -hmm. or, you know. It's, yeah. So, it's heavy rock, but it's it, not heavy metal, you know. It's, yeah. More groove rock to me. It's groove, I guess. but there's you know it's there's stoner elements, there's old school elements, there's hardcore elements. I mean, I I maybe would would it be better? Would you guys think it's more fair to like categorize guys? Categorize, or maybe not categorize, but define your sound by your influences. Would you think that's a fair way? To yeah, say? but those they're so broad. I mean, yeah. you talk to each Very person. Broad. I'm like. Oh man, Jim Morrison, you know, and then Neil Fallon from Clutch. There's such opposite ends of the spectrum, mm -hmm. but you hear that in my vocals. You know, you hear all of that in there. You know what Jay was listening to, whether it was like, I mean, Jay can play the slap, pop, bass stuff like super groovy, funky, mm -hmm. disco type stuff, and was listening to Tool and Rage Against the Machine, mm -hmm. and you know, our our guitar player was straight up shred metal guy. I mean, he was like, he was winning competitions like at twelve. Yeah. Like killing older dudes, you know, just like yeah. walking in there, little skinny, <laughs> elbows and knees, and just like shredding, you know, old Metallica songs, solos, and so the influences are just as wild as you know, as what our sounds were. Pretty so, broad, you know. Yeah. And like Jeff and I both listen to a lot of jazz and stuff too, and I know you're a big fan of like, uh, like, uh, oh, I'm trying to blank. <laughs> Steely, Steely Dan, Dan Santana, you. Steely you know. Dan, Santana, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh, you know, the the way things were then versus now, you just didn't you didn't want to be like anybody else. That yeah. was kind of, yeah. you know, that's what the whole Seattle thing was. You know, you listen to what they were trying to do. They just, each, even though there was a grunge category, those bands didn't even sound mm. like each other. No. So um, you you took pride in not sounding like anybody else and doing whatever you could to not sound like somebody. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it didn't work. I mean, you were mm -hmm. you were trying to reach so far that you bombed miserably every once in a while, too. Yeah. But but I love that about it. You know, now, you know, having been through the music industry for 25 years and really being in the business stuff, you know, seeing how it all works, big studios in Memphis, and all they're looking for is another guy that sounds just like that guy. Like, mm -hmm. that one worked. Oh, we got six more. This guy's just like that. I think we can make that one work too. And it's just like it makes you sick to your stomach when you're hearing this going on, going, yeah. man. All right, whatever. We're stuck in the wrong time here, you know. Yeah. But you, I mean, you 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 take inspiration, not really copy. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, we were. I was like I said, I was jamming Neil Fallon and and Jim Morrison all into the same song. You know, mm -hmm. what I felt like, and I don't sound like either of them, but but. I was trying to do what they were doing, you know what I mean? And we were young, so yeah, of course you're copying the people you loved, you oh, know. Yeah. I'd yeah. sit down and play the whole first Rage Against the Machine record because I loved the, you know, at the time, yeah. like shortly before we yeah. got together and started playing and Soundgarden and stuff, that yeah. tool seems like those, at the time, those were some big influences, but still, I was a huge Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix fan. Right. And loved the old right. classic stuff too, you know. Mm hmm. So I, I guess what if we're talking about your your sound, you know, you mentioned you mentioned Clutch a lot, and like, right? So I can definitely hear all over your your yep. first album, and we'll get to the music itself a bit later. But as far as like the sound you guys are trying to create, I guess what are some key elements of it? Um, we were definitely we were trying to create music that made people jump and climb all over each other. I mean, that was the main yeah. goal, really. There was never going to be more than a few minutes or a few seconds of downtime like vibey you know if it was moody it was like so people could fire up a joint or something you know <laughs> and that'd be it like just enough time to do that and then we're back at it climbing over people you know and that was really where our mind was it was I wanted that I wanted the bounce going the whole yeah. time we wanted to be loud and heavy but we wanted to make you move yeah. you know so there's a lot of like when I say like some of the new like heavy metal bands, it just sounds like a bunch of noise. Da, 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 da. It yeah, doesn't make me want to move, you know. I, we yeah. want like say want to make a room bounce or yeah. groove. You know, move. We'd get tense <laughs> or tense or moody for a minute, but it was always to come back to that that one drive yeah. that would make people like, you know, hundreds of people just jumping in unison. That was yeah. that was the focus. What you were trying to do, you know. So really, the 
closest thing you could even possibly come to is like more groove metal with maybe some of the um, more alternative metal stylings that yeah. was happening at the time. There was definitely a heavy stoner influence too. I mean, yeah. you know, Caius and Monster Magnet were massive, mm-hmm. you know, influences because that's that would be playing nonstop at our house. We would take off for happy hour. We I'm trying to think the house that we had on Main Street, Main Street the, yeah. the hot tub house. I don't know if there's even a hot tub there, but. You'd put in, you know, the Monster Magnet Super Judge at 3 in the afternoon, go to happy hour. It'd still be on repeat. We'd come home <laughs> at 6 in the morning from someplace, and it's still playing. The same song had been circling, cycling through. People are coming and going, and it just, you know, oh, maybe tomorrow we'll play the Clutch album, you know. <laughs> but it would go for ever, ever, so, ever. So did you guys kind of start out as, like, a cover band, or um, did you did you guys already have, like, intentions no. when, when you formed to we didn't write really your own out. music? No, we didn't really start out as a cover band. No. We played covers back, you know, we, we would cover, what, like, Clutch, Helmet, Monster Magnet, yep. Soundgarden, Sound you know, but uh, definitely didn't consider ourselves a cover band. It was more like, we what cover do you want to play tonight? You know, yeah, we'd yeah. throw one or two in a set that yeah. were fun that we liked, you know. I remember the, the vibe started getting really exciting as we, you know, the band formed and we were all friends with a lot of people around, you know, on campus or whatever, and and people that were musicians knew what was going on, and they found out all of us had gotten together, and so hey, when's the show? When's the show? I mean, it was it was that quick. It was within a couple of months. People were, you know, really jamming to get out to see us yeah, play. Once we had the the four guys fit set and yeah. done, it was like yeah, it seems like we had a gig a month later. Once yeah. we were set with, but we everybody. didn't have enough songs, so that's where <clears throat> you know a few covers came in. I remember. Yeah. throwing a few covers and going, okay, well, we can play 45 minutes if we play Rage Against the Machine and Monster Man, yeah. you know. So then we just, you know, it was always cool to play some off-kilt, like, uh, cover song somewhere, you know. So we Do, like, Take the Power Back by Rage. We did, yeah. Oh, we we flip the place up. We seen an odd scene by, oh my God. by Monster Magnet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've seen Meantime. that, you know, you're tired. I assume you... Did, did you start... Start right away when you started performing live. Um, well, actually, no. Let's, let's describe this. I want to ask you this first. Um, you know, you're talking about you know the scene in Mount yeah. Pleasant, Michigan. You know, you know, coming there, forming up and around the mid '90s. Um, and we, you know, we've spoken mm-hmm. about Quite that bit, before. Yeah. Um, but you know, I want to hear from both of you guys. What what was the music scene like in Mount Pleasant during that time? It was alive. There was it one. Was really alive. People wanted to go out and see music, man. The, today it's like I don't get it. People people used to go down to Mount Pleasant and Rubbles just because there was a live band there, not who's playing, just because. If you're a good band, yeah, the place would be packed, but there'd always be people there. House parties and, and fraternities tough. would have live bands in the backyard, yeah. thousand people. We had a fraternity that used to pay us like six, seven hundred bucks to come over and play their basement in their and basement. party. Yeah, and it was fun. We had a good time yeah. and made money and had a great but time. But it was you know, <clears throat> hip hop hadn't taken its stranglehold on culture yet you know i mean there was it was it was definitely the the alternative rock scene was the very yeah. top of the charts for everything album yeah. but sales. It, was, it was kind of diverse there were some really good bands around that time that like knee deep shag if you i mean those guys were funk and they were they were like they disco were so funk good, but originals you know? and bands that we'd network with other other towns like power face a heavy band out of lansing that we'd play with botfly botfly and lansing where did griff ended up the harmonica player for um, uh, verve pipe yeah 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 they were incredible. I mean, they were like this weird, funky version of corn or something, yeah. you know. And like Speedball in Detroit, those guys were super cool to us. You know, they heard our record and gave us a chance to play with them. You know, and these guys are on touring with Dio Motorhead. and Motorhead and stuff. You know, and they helped us get yeah. a few gigs in Detroit and get because that's the biggest thing is getting asked to come to another city with the band from that city that's going to pull some people yeah. to see you. Mm-hmm. So like we'd go the, to like the Cross Street in Ypsilanti, play with those guys in yeah. front of a good crowd, so then they offer you your own gig, you come back to town, and hey, people remember and you. And the, the rules in town were way different back then. I mean, there you still had the end-of-the-world parties and the mm-hmm. Central Western weekend was, you know, Nuts. cars burning in the streets. <laughs> and I mean, that's really what it was. There yeah. wasn't, you know, it, things have clamped down everywhere, you know, not just mm-hmm. here, but... This was, you know, one of the top ten party schools in the country for a reason, because there'd be thirty thousand people in that whole north area of campus, shut down, National Guard just containing it, and flipping cop cars over, and bands <laughs> playing in yards, and bands playing in living rooms, and 
It was something else, man. You know, the college it's hard used, to believe it was really that. At the one college point. used to do Gentle Friday and have bands play on campus for Gentle Friday. You know, we played one of those. Oh, it was huge, great. Yeah. It was always, oh, who's playing Gentle Friday this year? And they'd have half dozen bands yeah. playing in the afternoon. You know, like out, was it out front of Warner or something? Like it was out front of Warner. I remember we played. It's, I don't think Finch Fieldhouse is even here anymore. Did they? No, Finch demolish? is still here. Finch yeah. is still here. We played there with Sponge. I mean, just filled wow. the place up with you know. But it was. Rock was so much more of a force then than it is now. Yeah. You know, I, mean, pro- I, well, I, I think there are some bands, rock bands, that have kind of you know since yeah. since the mid '90s that have kind of broken up into somewhat mainstream consciousness. You know, Jack White, the Arctic Monkeys, but yeah, yeah. certainly I, I think a, a case, a strong case, and I probably would agree with this. A strong case that you know. As far as the mainstream goes, that's kind of last time when rock was like really relevant. Yeah, you know, for sure. Mainstream mm-hmm. consciousness. Well, you know, even into the late '90s, early 2000s, when you had that whole movement with Slipknot and that whole thing, that was you know, rock was still a big seller, but it's definitely taken a backseat to pop and mm-hmm. and hip hop. You know, mm-hmm. since then, so it's there. It's you know, everybody goes, "Oh, rock's dead." It's not dead, but it's just nowhere near as viable as those other forms now. You know, mm-hmm. sales and and uh, attendance and so, um, you guys mentioned Rebels. Um, mm-hmm. For everyone who does, doesn't know, Rebels is like they said this, and I would still say to this day, but certainly back in the back back in the nineties, probably the the place to see live music, especially yeah. one with like the harder, heavier, and more rock oriented stuff. Um, for those who may have never been inside, um, and I guess for the amusement of those who who do who do yeah. know about Rebels, um, can I describe it to me? What what's, what is Rebels like? It's, it's like your basement. I mean, it's, it's, it's like having a party in your basement with 150 your best friend. Yeah. Like just your friends. It's, it's our, really it's a private party. It's, it's a rock nightclub. Like. You know, it's it's a. I, I don't know. People talk about. I don't think it's a dive bar. Some people say that, and some dive bars are super cool. But it's like. Uh, it's got a history there, a vibe. You kind of feel it when you're in there, you know? Yeah. I mean, it is what it is, but it's it's got a lot of history. Um, it's always been the place to see live you'll music. You'll understand when the, when town, we play know? there, you'll, you'll feel what... Because we feel it. Like, we feel what we like about it. You'll It comes across that way. Like, oh, this place is badass. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's history there. And I've yeah. seen bands that are like, yeah, this kind of sucks because the band just didn't like it and didn't think it was that cool. Yeah. We just thought it was cool because it was our hangout. You know, so we'd be hanging out there on Wednesday night, no matter what. I mean, other bars in this town have tried to do live music and still do, but they never did a ri- No one to this day still in this town has ever done original music like Rebels right. does or consistently had music like they have. Right. I mean, little bars will try it. You'll see a bear at the wayside every once yeah, or twice a year or something. Or hunters, you know what I mean? Well. You're not going to see a band like... Of, I don't know how to say this. You know, you're not going to see a, a very original band playing there. You right. know, you'll see your Jedi mind trips, which they're great at what they do. But I can listen to jukebox and hear that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. personally to me, I'd rather go to a a dark bar down yeah. in a weird part of town and see the cool new original vibe that's happening somewhere. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take a bar fight, but you might hear some cool music while nah, it happens. You don't ever see fighting. Nah, either. no. Not really. It's, I mean, it's definitely, for, back when we were there making it our own, it was definitely way more of a hippie vibe. Really? That even though we were so heavy and hardcore and whatever, it was still like, it was a very mm-hmm. hippie environment, you know? So there there was that, that well, coolness yeah, about it. We'd have some diverse shows, though. Like, if we played, it wouldn't be just all heavy bands that night. Sometimes it would, but sometimes you might have a band, like a groovy, funky Bet band. Bet Lucy like, was a band that, yeah, or super like, trippy. Or Fly or somebody you playing know? with you where it's, you know, you're... Yeah. You, they're really good, but they're not the exact same genre. Yeah. But people still come out because it's quality, you know, live original yeah. music. You know, and it seems like, like I said before, people used to just go there just for that reason, not because even who was playing that night. But yeah, it's we had wild crowds there group. back in the day. Mm-hmm. People, people, you know, crowd surfing and kicking out ceiling tiles in that little bar. Right, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, very eclectic group of people would always, you know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have two people look the same either in the place. You right. Know? Which is what the music was like. It's so. weird. I mean, it's weird. Like the, the thing I always I don't know I don't know why because I don't I don't know if I've seen the 
I, whenever I, I mean, I've only recently turned 21, and fortunately all your shows are 21 and up, but whenever right. I've been in there just to, like, you know, work on stories and do stuff, I don't know, I, the thing that always jumps back at me are the, just the wall of stickers, or, like, the, the stickers still yeah, lie yeah, in the bar. Yeah. I don't know if that was really a thing when you guys were playing oh, yeah. back in the 90s, yeah. but, There's like... There's probably our stickers still up there from 97, oh, I'm, I'm sure. About that, but, you know, it's just, they just accumulate so much around there. It's just so yeah. cool to see. Like, yeah. it's almost like a mark every time a band plays there. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to yeah. see. yeah. Um, so, um, speaking of Rebels, you know you kind of mentioned cross surfing and stuff like that, and uh, you know you have some entertaining stuff, but like, I mean, just what was it? L- tell me what a typical show or typical workhorse show. What was what was a typical workhorse show like at Rebels during the mid nineties? Um, packed. It was jam packed. Yeah, Some people waiting outside for two people to leave so too many people could come in and yeah. just great energy in there you know yeah i mean you'd see a line down what is that what road Michigan. is that? Michigan, uh, Michigan, yeah. Michigan, yeah. I mean, down by the brass saloon people waiting to get in <laughs> you know and they'd, they'd wait all night and <laughs> go outside before the set and like oh man hey hope you guys <laughs> get in tonight i feel yeah. like that many people in that little bar is probably a fire hazard yeah yeah well. they i'm sure they've exceeded the the capacity more than a few times when we played in other bands too. It wasn't just yeah. us, but yeah, they used to cram them in there, and we'd, you know, we'd pull all the tables and chairs out, put them in our trailer, mm-hmm. like create the floor just standing there. floor only, and we'd bring in all the cool lights and just make it trippy. And the one thing that bums me out though, and we Jeff and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, is. Once they banned smoking, these kind of clubs don't look as cool anymore. The <laughs> lights just aren't, you know, they're just light. They're just circles of light. Before, they were like beams of light because all the smoke in the air. Just, yeah, but I yeah. smell better when yeah. I go home. Yeah, yeah. you feel better, you smell better. But when I open my guitar case yeah. the next day, it doesn't smell like an ashtray. I like that a, part. There was a magic. <laughs> just, yeah. they just they open the guitar case and just Oh, you can smell it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can smell it. You can break your bass. You'd be like, oh, crazy. Leather coats, leather boots, all that kind of stuff. Just and that bar was, oh yeah, it was pretty. Sm- yeah, they was, had smoke eaters, but they didn't work so good. No, you, yeah. you were smoking whether we were you smoked smoke or not. Eaters, if you were yeah. there, eyes be watered. Yeah, like, <laughs> that, that again, I I have been inside the performance area, and like if you lit a joint, like it it, it did not need to travel very far no, to like get no. to the other end of the room. It did not. <laughs> and I mean, we we got away with you know doing that right in the room too because it was so packed you couldn't get. Five feet away to you know to grab it out of somebody's hand and tell them you can't smoke. Yeah, it's like I can't even. I mean, it's so jam packed. You couldn't. I kind of couldn't even move to them. Yeah, so, yeah. But but no. Um, I I remember. But you know, I, I'm the, the the one I, I worked. I worked on a. For those who are listening, you may not know. I worked on a story about the history of punk rock and alternative right. music in Mount Pleasant, and uh, and I I spoke to Matt about that. Um, there and, and one of the things there was two things I remember about conversation mainly, um, just to quote you to quote that you'd mentioned uh, uh, Jay about the um, about how there would be like ceiling tiles by the end of the show. God, uh, yeah, she, that's just such a great image to think about. You know, it's just such a great quote. But the other one, it's not really to do with workhorse, but I'd feel like this would be a missed opportunity if I didn't have you guys tell the story about how the KISS cover band almost burned oh, down yeah. Rebels. <laughs> were you there? Were you there? I, I, yeah, I, we did. Yeah. Yeah. We were, were talking about this. This is great story, Tell guys. that story. I want, so, I want that. So I've got a friend who actually, when I first started to play bass, gave me lessons. Pat Shepard in town here. And some other friends of ours, just a, little, just a little bit older than us guys, you know, they started a Kiss Tribute band. And and they Tony Smith, they're a damn good Kiss Tribute band. Professional you know? outfits, I mean, they and looked... The drummer totally actually has played for some real professional Kiss Tribute bands since then, but... So we played three or four gigs with them. We played with them at Rubbles, we played up in Mayo at that Yeah. Place. We played yeah. in Elma at the Highlander or something with them. But yeah, they brought their pyrotechnics and stuff into Rubbles. Into Rubbles. You know, there's not very high ceilings in there. And when Jeff Hoyt, who was doing Gene Simmons, he did the whole blowing fire trick and everything. He leaned back and blew fire, and it plum, plumed out on the ceiling. Was, the next seeing, thing you yeah. know, it was still lit. The ceiling's on fire. I can still see that blue flame creeping across the ceiling, and we are, and it's jam-packed in there. We're like, 
So we got to get out of here. I don't know if we can get out of here. It was pretty funny when they played Firehouse, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, the fire department yeah. didn't come. They got it yeah. out, knocked, snuffed out and everything. But Of all the crazy Yeah, shows. it was wild. You could <laughs> feel the heat when he did that on my face. I'm like, whoa. It was right there because you can touch the ceiling in there. And yeah. The flame, like you could touch the flame oh, too, Jesus. you know. Yeah, yeah, that, pretty that cool. was fun. <laughs> I think I think the thing I remember you telling me was whoever thought it was a good idea to do full pyrotechnics. That low of a ceiling. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty sweet. Oh God, still on my. Just funny because the real Kiss did that when they played here back in the seventies when Kiss played on campus. Yeah. I remember yeah. Dad telling me this story. They played like in rows and their pyrotechnics left black marks on the ceiling. On the ceiling. <laughs> they didn't catch on fire. No, no. That's a different thing. No, I remember the. the uh, Pat let me wear his his boots. Yeah. His, I was wearing like <laughs> you know like look like uh, Chris Cornell boots. like cut off army <laughs> pants and army boots and with them big old boots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but then then I'm wearing those kiss boots around all night with the Pat's blue ribbon. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a fun time. <laughs> so let's yeah, I I could talk about this all day because it's endlessly amusing to me. But <laughs> something I do. But uh, I do kind of want to talk to the actual music itself a bit. Um, so your first record, Dopamine, was released in what year? 95? Well, yeah, it was, it was released. Actually, we had it done on our own in 95, but we started recording it in 94. Like in, We did it in two sessions. We saved our gig money, and we went to a studio in um, Pontiac. Pontiac called Cornerstone. It's not there anymore. Worked with a, a guy there, and uh, we really liked it. You know, We basically recorded half of it. And then six months later, saved more gig money, had a couple more Finished songs it, we wrote, yeah. came back, basically recorded the other half of it, mm-hmm. and then uh, then had this, the discs made, you know? Was it released independently? Were you guys yeah, on yes. any independent label or no? No, just, just by ourselves, printed up, you know, a couple thousand over the course of whatever, and yeah, we just sold stuff, you know? Called it Master Cylinder Music and did our own thing, had our own disc, and then when the band got signed to a Detroit label... Overture, Overture, and subsidiary of Overcore. They kind of, you know, they re-released that one. They and remastered it. So that was like in '97. They remastered and they added a live track, two live tracks. Two live tracks. Um, okay. Two. There's two live tracks on there. They recorded live at Rubbles, actually. Yeah. Then the recordings turned out pretty darn good. Um, one of the songs was on the record, Subterranean Love Song. Another one called Heavy that we were writing at the time. Yeah. On the album, it was, was called Second Messenger. Second Messenger System, System. something like that. Yeah. And then. On the the following album, that ended up being a recorded track for on the Roadrunner release. So, which we might play at this show because it technically was on that first it's album. Technically, so dope, right? it's just yeah. it's a live track, <clears throat> and it's funny. I was listening to it. I forgot it was even on there because I know it from being on the Sons of the Pioneers the album. But uh, I listened to it I'm like I didn't know I didn't even have lyrics I don't think for it. Now that I'm listening <laughs> to it, like I think I was just making up shit as I was going. <laughs> and we recorded it live and put it on an album. And I know I didn't know I kind of knew a basic formula for what yeah. the lyrics are going to be. And I'm pretty sure I was just making up shit yeah, as I was going. Yeah. <laughs> I, like I and we will definitely get to that reunion show later. But um, talking, about, I was listening. I was listening to that dopamine record, and I think I might have already said it, but um, I I hear the clutch on that like right. I, it doesn't sound obviously like clutch but you can definitely hear the influence that we were good. listening yeah. to it at the time yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like i can definitely hear that that self-titled record of theirs and a bit of yep. a first debut as well with it it was pretty cool to hear um I, we I, were probably listening to transnational speedway we were a lot at that a lot time, at that time, which yeah. is a more chaotic version of clutch i mean they were they settled down and smoothed out for that clutch <laughs> self-titled album but the one well, before they were kind of weird on that yeah they were weird but the the uh, Transnational Speedway League was very More chaotic, rock, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and you can tell that chaotic approach. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We recorded a video for that song. We didn't record the song, but we had a friend of ours who was in the uh, video production program here at Central, and he had to make a video. So he used us. We're running through the 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 bike trails over by the river <laughs> and he's filming us like chasing like with knives chasing each other i don't remember what the whole thing was and it was to a video for that song rats oh, and uh and he has this on video but they didn't put it in the video i'm running down a hill and i had a hoodie we had hoodies on like we look like bank robbers or something and the string of my hoodie got caught on a rope as i was running like 30 miles an hour down the hill and it, it full-on 
like clothesline me, yank me <laughs> off my feet, rip the rip my hoodie off. Did he my, get it on film? He got it on film. Oh. He didn't put it in the video. I'm like, why didn't you put it in that video? What? Well, it wasn't. Gee, that, oh yeah, because it wasn't serious enough or whatever. I'm like, oh my god, dude, you probably won an Emmy for that video because <laughs> oh it my took god. my feet four yeah, feet off the, the ground. Yeah, because the song by song Rats is already serious enough, anyways. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it hung me. I mean, just <sighs> fast. I, my feet couldn't keep up with how fast I was running down the hill, and it just wrapped around a branch and stuck me. Honestly. It's either that song or Animal Farm is my yeah. favorite clutch song. It, yeah, you can't pick. I have a hard time picking on that album. But that album, very, you know, not so groovy, stoner the way the next album was. That was kind of pushing us in that direction yeah. to be just wild, you know. Yeah. You can also hear some of the later 90s sounds in that mm-hmm. record as well. I guess what what was the recording? What was the writing process of that record like? There was just jam. It was... And bring an fact, idea to practice and then hash it out pretty yeah, much. A lot, yeah. Mostly probably Jeff bringing a guitar mm-hmm. riff. Joe and Jay would be like, oh, cool. Start, lay down a beat Structure and I would just start mumble-jumbling my way through the microphone and it, that was it. I mean, there really was hardly any discussions about songwriting back then. We maybe would talk yeah. about extending a part at the end or something. Matt, we would be literally be constructing the song. Someone would come with an idea and we'd be building constructing it and he'd be sitting there in the corner writing down lyrics yeah. and as we're building the song he's coming up with lyrics at the same time we're all in the same room together. And then it would be done. We, you know, now we, you know, more we were recently really, we we'd were write really songs and it'd be way. months of like, well, what if we did this on this part yeah. and that melody's not quite... Then it was just like, that was cool. Yeah. Don't change a thing. And we were you all know? right in town like Joe, we were... I mean, I rented a house on Arnold Street, and I think Joe left like three blocks from me, and yeah. these guys were six blocks from me, and it's like, we practice twice a week, you know, you get tight doing that, too, yeah. you know, and we were productive, like I said. Man, and hey, we were, but they were hanging out every out happy hour, rumbles yep. or what, you know, and then heading to the bird, and yeah. talk, listening to more music, and talking more music. And so I, think that, I think that whole thing, that, with us, you know, the chemistry of the four guys, and, and being around each other, and like I said, hanging out together that much, too, it, it kind of... Yeah. Brings it and loving together, the same you know? ten weird bands yeah. at the same time. I remember like, the first time we saw Clutch, we actually went to see Monster Magnet. Oh. We, went, we went down to yeah. St. Andrews, and we we're going to go see Monster Magnet, right? And then, like, oh, this band Clutch opened well, was pretty cool. I heard, oh, really? Oh, we'll check them out. I was like, holy crap. They were <laughs> awesome, yeah. man. And they were on the transnational tour at the time, you know? We were. I was an instant fan. Yeah. And Who else was in the band at the time? Uh, for Clutch or for us? For you guys, no. Uh, I don't. You don't need. To. Yeah. Joe Joe Mackey on drums, <laughs> and then Jay, me, and Jeff get Jeff uh, Piper on guitar. All right. Yep. So, um, to make sure I got that. Um, I was gonna say, um, if you guys had to, if you two had to pick a song that really like summed up that first record, or one that you just really really love still to this day, off the dopamine record, which one would you pick? My go-to one's Holy Moses. <laughs> That's, That's the one. I mean, it I was just say that. that one. That one <laughs> epitomizes what Rubbles was too. Really? Yeah, for sure. You'd hear that dun 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 dun, dun and people would, like their eyes would get big and like, oh, we're gonna jump, man. Let's go. Let's get ready. And you could tell people getting ready from that intro. Um, and we ended up writing more like that. You know, it had that 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 was the epic groove for that era. Was that yeah. kind of song? So. Yeah. I would do this one. I would pick two. I mean, I like them all. Honestly, I don't. I just saying that it, I, the record holds up today. You know, it's not like it's right. Know, it still holds. It's funny because our the drummer that I ended up working with in Dirty Americans later on, he has his own record label over in a over by me over by Big Rapids in a recording studio. Yeah, right, right <laughs> elf, white elephant. Um, and he's helping us kind of put the put the album back out. He's remastering it. Have you heard any of the master stuff? Yeah, yeah it's amazing what he's doing, you know. Um, but lucky. he had never heard any of this album. He, you know, I toured with him for ten years, and he knew some of some of the stuff we were doing, but he'd never heard this first album because there just weren't copies of it. We, mm-hmm. there was no, it wasn't on iTunes, it wasn't on Amazon, you know, everything else. That stuff was, wasn't around back then. It just <laughs> wasn't around, and and uh, I didn't even have a copy of it. I, nobody really had a copy of it. No, we just sold them all or given them away, and. And so now he's been, the last few weeks, has been in the studio mastering this stuff. And it's not his cup of tea. He's totally 
John Bonham, Jimi Hendrix. You know, he's he's way into the '60s kind of. Mm -hmm. You know, classic rock guy, right. big bell yeah. bottoms and snakeskin boots, and you know, and and he's an awesome drummer and a great guy. And this just isn't the stuff that he would ever listen to. And I talked to him the other night. He's like, "Dude, I'm telling you, man. I'm now that I'm getting into this stuff, I understand what was going on, where you <laughs> like where I came from, and you know, yeah. mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff." He he's like, "It it totally stands up, man. You know, it's it's weird." He goes, "It takes me back. I remember that stuff going on, like people trying to do those odd time signatures and." You weren't. You would never try to do anything normal, you know. And he goes, "Oh man, I miss doing that. Not doing anything normal, you know." We so. all started kind of talking about doing this reunion thing, and and I knew I had it hidden away somewhere, and I found it. I had the actual production master dat tape, mm. which, <laughs> on dat, which yeah. is basically what we sent out <laughs> yeah. on dat tape, which is what we sent out to get mastered to when get we, cassettes we did it ourselves. Made. Yeah, we, we got. Yeah, I made cassettes from that dat tape as as demos, and some people still have those demos. We just took a few songs and put it. We did it yeah. ourselves, recorded from dat to cassette, so we'd have something. Here's our demo, yeah. and then when we had it, we sent it to a place, a cloning lab in Traverse City, yeah. and they mastered it and produced it for us, packaged and everything. Mm. You know, so what's cool about that is I have. We have the dat tape of the original mix, so we can go back and remaster it. Like you said, like Piper was saying, you know, it sounds like a '90s yeah. mastering. You know, the now, digital now today is gonna have, it's gonna be a little even fuller and fatter sounding. He's you know? run it through all kinds of you know tape machines and all kinds of stuff to really make it pro sounding. <clears throat> um, it was funny though. Once we started talking about doing this show, we had to find the songs again. And I didn't have anything on... Like, what, like anything. tabs or something? Just the song itself to listen to it. I, d I didn't have a copy of a CD. I didn't have anything. I didn't have a digital copy of anything. Of dopamine, yeah. Really? Nothing, right? And I'm like, all right, well, who's got a copy of it? And Jay's like, well, I'm sure a, I've got one. I found a time capsule in my basement. Yeah. <laughs> I had some T-shirts and a few, like, Which was like brand great. new T-shirts still folded up from... We finally found then. a copy of this. And I found a, an unopened copy in my attic, you know, that had been stuck away 20 years ago. Yeah. Like, well, that's great. I don't have a single thing that will play a CD in my house anyway. A car, <laughs> a laptop, nothing. Like, the laptop I have doesn't have even a CD drive on it. You know, you got six iPads in the house, and right. I've got a stereo that everything's Bluetooth. And, you know, I'm like, both cars are Bluetooth. No CD player. I'm like, well, somebody's going to have to transfer it to something and email it to me so I can listen to the stupid thing. I'm going to have to go buy a boombox, you know, at the pawn shop to go listen to the album. I couldn't uh, believe I didn't have anything I could put. A CD yeah. play, a CD yeah. in, or the X, maybe an Xbox. Yeah, I so, probably so, could have listened to that. Through so Jeff actually TV. put it on a, the whole album on a YouTube, you know, so mm. we could actually yeah put it out there so people could get refreshed with so it. I so I could yeah. listen to it. That's straight up the first mix, the first yeah. uh, mastering yeah. is what that is straight off of it. Yeah. Anyone listening, um, yeah, like you said, it's on YouTube. I was listening to it today. If anyone wants to go look that one up, uh, it's right. the only place so far I think you can find that record online. Yeah, if you search Workhorse Dopamine, you'll, you'll find it we'll on YouTube. It. We'll, we'll link to it. All right, we'll link to it. As okay. <laughs> we'll link to it. All right, sweet. So, um, so uh, like, I said, so you have the record recorded. You become a really, really popular band in Mount Pleasant, and eventually, you um, somehow make your way over to uh, Detroit. and You get signed to some labels there. Uh, tell me the story behind that. On how that happened. How you? How did you guys first get signed to Overture? There was a record store here in town. Um, the Depot, right? Was that what Hatch's place was called? Yeah, he yeah it was he called the Depot. He had it like in Elma, and then he opened one up here, right? Sound Depot, right? It was actually right next to the Brass Cafe. Remember that? You could walk store, out the like, back door, Rubbles, and walk into yeah, and it was awesome. his record store. You know, <clears throat> musicians hanging out, listening. To, I mean, we just go hang out in there. Mm -hmm. We were going to buy stuff, uh, and the owner offered kind of some managerial services. You know, he knew he loved us. Business. He, he loved us. He's like, you guys need some help. With something you know you guys are doing a good job of creating a vibe and you know the, the the people wanting to come and see you but we had no business sense about us so he started putting together a press pack and shopping us around and mm -hmm. sending things to you know most of the indie labels you know whatever mm -hmm. roadrunner and all those kind of labels century media and overture out of detroit which was you know they were distributing all the early kid rock stuff all the icp stuff um some of Eminem stuff, so it was a very local thing, but it was very successful. Esham, all of Esham's stuff was going through Overture, which I ended up getting to do all the Esham's artwork out of the deal. Like oh, once really? we signed with them, we had to have a job 
that didn't interfere with the music stuff. So I went in the stu in their studio and just did artwork for Isham for years, did just posters and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but that's where that deal came from was our buddy Greg who shopped mm -hmm. things and just found this label in Detroit. And, and they were, you know, they had money coming in because they were selling some decent product. Yeah. And then uh, we moved down there to start recording and I started driving all around Detroit, taking seat boxes of CDs for them to stores you know as my part of my job and and then they sh then overture their idea was to try to go to a bigger scale and shop us to a bigger label and that's when they sold their rights to roadrunner and then okay. roadrunner took off yeah. you know with it for quite a while so how long were you guys in overture before that happened then you guys went to roadrunner a couple of years i would think wasn't it yeah roadrunner in 2000 or something yeah not three 97 years. i think we probably 97 is when they re-released dopamine okay so that was yeah, about so. when we signed with overture and then we signed with roadrunner in 99 probably when we signed with them we didn't put the album out until 2000 yeah so two three years with overture and then they shopped us to roadrunner and then it all you know, mm -hmm. crazy. So, uh, so when when did that deal happen? I'm sorry. Ninety seven was the overture deal. Yeah, and okay. that was the re-release of Dope. Um, well, it was more when did you guys officially join Roadrunner? I mean, that would have been ninety nine. Okay. Believe. Yeah. Nine. All right. So. Good time to be on Roadrunner too. That was. <laughs> yeah, it was they were breaking. They were breaking everybody big. At, you know, they were breaking yeah. Slipknot at the time. So they were. They were the top as far as heavy rock went in the whole world, you know. Where was Roadrunner based? Their main office is Amsterdam, which is a pretty cool place to go hang out with them. <laughs> but they had a their the office in New York too. So okay. New York it, and Amsterdam. Did you guys have to relocate over there from Michigan? Or? No, no, we stayed and just right. traveled. So. Cool. Yeah. So um, now, is that Ron Roadrunner? Um, coming up now, you guys. When did you guys release your second album? Uh, that was the end of nine or some mid ninety nine, I think it was. Yeah. Ninety nine, trying to think. Somewhere end of ninety nine, yeah. I think. And when did you say that you guys had just switched to workhorse movement, or under overture? Or was it overture? It was okay. under overture. Okay, yeah. so you guys are at workhorse movement now. So, yeah. um, tell me what. What was different about making Sons of Pioneers over Dopamine? I imagine it would, um, it would be pretty different now that you're on a major label. But more budget, more time. That was really the really difference. I mean, there was, you know, there was just a budget. <laughs> so there was money. We were, like Jay said, you know, we were scraping from gigs, trying to save our money up to record Dopamine. We got enough to record half of it, and then we had to wait six months till we earned enough money to record the rest mm -hmm. of it. So mm -hmm. um, you didn't have time for overdubs and retakes I'm like you got a couple shots at this and we're moving to the next one so you better get it right <laughs> you know with <clears throat> once we got onto the major label stuff then it was months and months and months of recording and redoing things and so yeah i mean just scope and money and it was definitely do it yourself on dopamine mm -hmm. did ourselves man oh saved our pennies what was the important process like for you for for what for a few as you know use basis I mean just did you I mean did you kind of feel the same way did you have um, I mean did you just feel like you had more freedom to do what you wanted or were you did you feel like you're more controlled I wasn't even I wasn't in the band actually during oh, okay. uh, Sons of the Pioneers sorry I was uh, I kind of left when we were on Overture and uh, recording some of those songs. Okay. For Overture like uh, like I said they kind of took our recording which was all grassroots us. Yeah. Doing dopamine, re-release that, and then they re-release that. I mean, yeah. that's that's what got us there, you know. Yeah. That's the one thing I don't have a problem with big record labels is that's what they do. You get a band like Workhorse, it's a grassroots band, and this is what caught everyone's eye. This is what got mm -hmm. everything. And then it's a lot of times when a big record label gets hold of you, they think you're a freaking chunk of clay, and they want to mold you like yeah. this and yeah. tell you what to do and how to sound. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Roadrunner left us alone quite a bit, though. I mean, they didn't really okay. push us around too much. You know, they they weren't so big that that they had you know corporate yeah. board meetings to say we need another one of these bands. So I'm like, oh, you guys are weird. We don't really know what you are, but we know people are coming to see yeah, you. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. so that so. was the beauty of being kind of in that mid mid range label. Right. So um, what? 
So I know I know I did see that you had a music video recorded around this time. Was it Keeping of the Sabbath? Was that Keep the Sabbath Dream Alive? Yeah, that was. Sorry. That was, Sorry. That was no, that's that. fine. That was uh, that was the first song released off of Sons of the Pioneers. That was the lead yeah. single. Yep. All right. Yep. Uh, what was recording that video like? And because I assume you, other than that, that high school project you two were, that high college project you two were part of. Yeah, yeah. Was that? Um, it was a pretty straightforward thing. They, they just, um, they had a producer and director come, and we, we set up on the parking garage by Cobra Hall, and just told everybody it was a free concert on a Saturday. We, I think we played St. Andrews Friday night, and just told everybody it was there. You want to come do a video, show up at nine o'clock. You know, Jones Soda and Sky Vodka showed up and got everybody all drunk and shot a video and that was it. <laughs> so we just played a concert and we filmed it. Yeah. So rode around the People Mover a few times. And it, it was filmed in Detroit though. Yeah, right. yep. Um, it was parking garage right by Cobo Hall. I can't think of what that's what it is, but it was on top of yeah. on top of that parking garage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, again, I'll ask the same question I asked about Dopamine. If you had to pick one song off Sons of Pioneers that represents that album, what would it be? Um, for, yeah, boy, that one's tough. Because that, again, that one's so diverse. Every song is so far removed and from your the favorite. one before. <laughs> favorite. I, it might actually be heavy, the one that, that we started with on Dopamine. Um, okay. Mostly because I, I got to kind of explore some of that Jim Morrison type vocal in it too. I still had the clutch vocal in the heavy part, but there's definitely, you can hear Morrison in that one. Like, I, I got my, this is the kind of vibe, you know, I've always wanted to try that. So heavy's, heavy's in there. And that one actually got quite a bit of radio play, you know, like just alternative college radio, that kind of stuff. And I remember talking to our drummer, <coughs> the drummer for Dirty Americans later on, and uh, he came and auditioned when we put that band together and then went home that night and uh, his girlfriend at the time was like, so how, how was it? What were the guys like? And they were laying in bed and that song came on the radio down in Toledo or where they were living. Wow. And he's like, hey, he's like, I think that's that's Myron on the radio right there. It's, it's these guys, that's the guy. And she's like, well, that maybe that's a sign. <laughs> so he said, I guess I'm going to this band. So. And uh, well, speaking of kind of getting your name out, obviously, Roadrunner, you have more of a, I don't want to say national presence, certainly like a more of a wider window for people to potentially see you, um, and that kind of led to some guys guys opening for some bigger bands. What were some of those bands be? Um, I remember we started. Listens. I mean, it was, you know, we toured with Fishbone. We were. You guys toured with Fishbone. We toured with Fishbone. That was kind of the first major tour. But I mean, we did some wacky tours. You know, we we did the first Disturbed tour when the sickness broke. Yeah. We were, it was us. It was kind of a co-headline thing. They weren't that big yet, but then the sickness broke, and of course they were the headliner within like a month. They were. Ah. We went from two or three four hundred seat clubs yeah. to twenty five hundred out twenty five hundred seat um, theaters. Mm -hmm. You know, in the middle of the tour, um, you know, did uh, the Slipknot Slayer tour that summer. Um, so yeah, think of the difference between Fishbone and Slipknot Slayer, what the crowds were. But yeah. we fit with both of those crowds. So I mean it. You know that was that was our kind of uniqueness and our diversity that allowed us to go play in front of Slayer's crowd and play in front of Fishbone's crowd and and do just as well. What was that tour like with Disturbed? I mean, because that was kind of was that was more of that was a, was that a national tour? It was a national tour. Yeah. And it, I mean, yeah. I hadn't, you probably hadn't done one before. It then. was the Sickness tour. Yeah, it was yeah. there. They just released that album. Um, I think it it was released like a week or two before we started that tour, and and we had released. Or maybe we hadn't, re we might not have even released ours yet. I think it was being released while we were out, so we were a little bit behind them as far as the time frame went. You know, the um, marketing and that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. yeah, it got it got wild in a hurry. When I, I can remember being in Fort Collins, Colorado, and they got a call from their manager that they, we, I think we, at the time we were selling eight nine hundred albums a week or something which was pretty you know it was doing good yeah, and they were at like 1500 or something like we were both chugging along pretty good going hey we're selling albums this that is was, awesome that was the era of Napster so. it was yeah so you could check it every week you know and you know 1500 albums they were like well we're, we're getting there and I'm like dang I wish we could sell 1500 and then uh, we were in Fort Collins Colorado eating dinner with those guys and their manager called on one of the old Nokia cell phones remember the, <laughs> I don't know yeah. probably before you guys were even born you know um, they were it was like the first like really usable cell phone 
And uh, they're like, oh, no shit, oh, no way. And we're all sitting at the table, and the rest of Disturbed like, sitting there, too. Yeah. And uh, they were talking to David, the singer, and he's like, we just sold 10,000 albums this week. I'm like, what? You went from 1,500 <laughs> to 10,000, but oh. sickness, the sickness went to number one on alternative radio and that week the album sales spiked and then they had to change every venue for the rest of the tour and the people like start screaming ooh wah ah ah oh yeah it, 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 was, it was ridiculous too because the um, here. you know they had their <laughs> they didn't have their big uh, stage show production or anything at the time they just had they had this guy Tex he was awesome he was their like kind of one of their roadie guys and he'd wheel David out on stage on like a cart like for hauling refrigerators around Mm-hmm. And they would have a straight jacket on and like a like mask, and they'd like wheel them out in that car, stand like, them up. Yeah, like science like camel actors. Every night we're dying laughing. Like you gonna get on that stupid cardigan? He's like, yeah, man, it's part of the show, you know. I'm like Whatever, that's dumb, dude. dude. Come on, man, you know. And they, sure enough, they'd wheel him out there in front of the mic, and he'd be standing out there with that straight jacket on, singing, you know, oh, the wow. first song. And then somebody would come out and and untie him and he'd get, go from there. It was hilarious. I, I, I think we I were just as ridiculous though, I'm sure. I think it was a, I think it was like a Loudwire interview he did and um, I think he said, yeah, I'm going to have that written on that grave to tombstone. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a fun tour though, man. <laughs> so, uh, if, if I remember correctly, I, it was kind of, I almost, I don't remember if it was the end or it was during the middle of the tour. Um, that's kind of when the breakup happened, correct? For us? Yes. No, no, um, no, Disturbed was early. It was in the spring of like 2000. Then we okay. did Slipknot Slayer, and then we went out. That was the whole summer. That was May through August or something like that. We did like three or four months with Slipknot Slayer. And then um, we came back and did the UK with a band called Pitch Shifter. Mm-hmm. We had 20, 20 or 21 sold-out shows in the UK. And wow. then did Fu Manchu Ooh. in the U.S., and it was right after that that we broke up. So, All right. But that was a long run of just drinking too much and just too much. You know? is, 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 is that you guys got overwhelmed? Is that kind of yeah, we were, broke up? Yeah, everybody had their own reasons, you know, different people not getting along. or what. It was a pretty volatile group. I mean, when we were early on, when we were workhorse, you know, we had... We were pretty feisty guys, you know. <laughs> There'd be fights and stuff. And, you know, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, and there was a lot of, a lot of energy and all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. going on there. So yeah, we just, we went full bore, man. And yeah. I remember being at the end of that Fu Manchu tour, going, I think I better stop for a while, man. <laughs> you know, or I may be dead. You know, <laughs> there's some realities there. The way that all goes down, yeah. and you do that for nine months straight without a break, your your liver's not gonna last much longer, <laughs> or sanity, or any of it. You know, so yeah. So, um, so Rockers broke up towards the end of 2000. Yes. So, I guess what I want to know from both of you is when you guys left Workhorse, when Workhorse broke up, when, um, what were you guys doing, whether it be musical projects or I guess you would say a real job, you know, something yeah. like that. But what did you guys get into after, after Workhorse? I built a house. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. Start. I live there now. In and out a bit different original bands here and there. Been in a few, recorded a couple little records here and there. You know, um, still am in an original band right now. Um, local what band, High Pilot. Okay. Local. I think I think I've seen I I've probably seen you like fan pages for you okay. guys on uh, Facebook. Yeah, I'm sure. And you guys just, play Rebels a lot, I assume. Yeah, we're kind of taking a little break right now, writing and recording stuff, and we kind of became a three-piece where me and the drummer are doing all the singing now so hmm. it's kind of changed a little bit but that keeps me busy you said you work at central now though. yeah i work, work right here at central yeah <laughs> i do what do you do here at central i work in the it department telecommunications so i do all of your internet securities doors and cameras and cable tvs and watching you man fiber optics all that <laughs> <Jesus>. stuff yeah. <laughs> there's all the bad yeah. watching that yeah. then. there's a camera in that microphone <laughs> Yeah. Duct tape the webcam mm, on my right, laptop. Right. So, um, and then what about you? I know you had another band that was fairly successful. Uh, for as well. a while, yeah. There was, I mean, there was a little break, obviously, where I didn't think we were going to do anything. Um, and I, when I was here at Central, I, I quit right at the end of, you know, bef- right before I got my degree. 
which my parents weren't real happy about, but the record deal stuff came up and I just went for that. Mm. Um, but I had enough credits to be a substitute teacher, so I you know, I think you had to have 120 credits or something like that to substitute teach, or I had a 20, 126 or something. Um, so I started teaching, I took a long-term sub job as a chemistry and advanced bio teacher. Um, so I went from you know, touring and <laughs> doing all that stuff to mm -hmm. teaching high school kids. And yeah. I get a lot of kids to do their homework by telling them, I'll tell them some stories if they finish their, <laughs> you know, get an A on the test, man. I'll tell you about Slipknot. Or what a cool teacher we got, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. He knows the guy. He knows the guy from Disturbed. Yeah. <laughs> Two yeah. rings on his chin. Yeah, he didn't have those back then. Oh, he didn't? No, no. Early on, he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but you're also in back called Dirty Americans, correct? Yep. Um, yeah, I was teaching, and then... You know, Jeff and I just got the itch after a while, and we started, and that was at the time of Napster was the big thing, right? Yeah. And uh, we started, we both had little digital um, eight tracks, and we were recording kind of ideas back and forth. So it was, you know, prior to FaceTime or anything like that, or even, you know, Skype, we were calling each other and recording back and forth and sending the files through Napster, writing songs, and once we got a half a dozen songs kind of, you know, ideas back together because I was living over near Big Rapids and he was still in Detroit. Um, we called Monty, who was our the head of A&R Roadrunner, who signed us and said, hey, Jeff and I have another project we're working on. We don't have a band yet or anything, but we're getting more towards like like the Monster Magnet Caius, you know, kind of in that ballpark, not so groovy, up, bouncy stuff, you know, mm -hmm. a little more stoner. And he's like, well, if it, you know, you still got your record deal. I mean, you're still signed to us if you want to just switch it over to a different thing we'll just keep going so we never even had to shop a deal we just picked up that roadrunner deal and mm -hmm. submitted demos and picked it right up so um and then as it just was it just kind of on and off again until like the early i guess aughts it was no, not the aughts but it was like a year 2000 teens yeah whatever. it was like a, about a year after we broke after the workhorse movement broke up that jeff and i had dirty americans up and running and you know recording that first album and um, but during that year, we were, you know, just kind of writing individually and sending ideas back and forth and thought, yeah, I think we've got our energy back and gave it a shot, so. And this leads up to now, now pretty much. Right. Now, right. pretty much. The reason why we're doing this whole interview, you guys are about to reunite. Workhorse. Right. Workhorse movement. Whatever. It's about to reunite. Um, over and you guys are playing a show over at Rebels on November 27th, correct? Correct. Yep. How did that come about? How did that conversation start? Like, how, how did that, did you guys start doing like feelers with each other to see, hey, are you guys interested in doing this? Or how did that come to be? Yeah, I, I kind of thought about it at the 20 year mark, kind of thought it would be cool, right. you know, to get us together and do something like that. And it just, it didn't really yeah, happen. Yeah, you did bring then. it up a while back. It up then. And, and Joe, the drummer, he was he was out in Colorado at the time too. We were like, yeah, it isn't really gonna work, you know. And, and actually last spring, Joe just relocated back to Michigan. And he kind of hit us all up. We all kind of started talking, started talking a little mm. more. And then our friends in Nagazi that used to be uh, Nickel Shot way back back then. Yeah, and the you know, they've always player. good friends of ours, yeah. you know. And they've they've been some of those guys have every time I see them, they've always kind of been pushing for it. So and it'd be cool to do. They're you also know? gonna be playing with you guys over yeah, at the correct. Yeah. Show and as I well. think I think Joe and Joe and Joe from Nagazi were talking or something. He's <laughs> like, well. We got a date. If you guys can do this, we got a date for you. We're like, mm, okay. Yeah. So we got together. We're like, well, we set up our first like rehearsal, rehearsal and yeah. uh, I'm like, well, I'll let you know how it goes, man. Nothing, yeah. Not we weren't like <coughs> signing. We weren't saying yes to anything yet. We're like, we'll all get in a room. We'll so, see what well, happens and how it goes. And and man, I'm not kidding. The first three songs were like, wow. Call them up. We're Damn. Yeah. Get Joe. Tell Joe we're in. You know, it was like. <laughs> Kind of like riding, it was kind of like riding of a bike, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised, honestly, when we first got together, you know, yeah. rehearsed. I was most worried about me, you know. I mean, they've been playing guitar and bass and stuff, and you can play bass when you're ninety years old. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know if you could sing like that when you're ninety. Yeah, you, you know? sing a little differently. You sing a little differently. So that was the thing I was worried about. Was yeah. I'm like, I might be the limiting factor here, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna be doing the backflips, I'm sure, but. Just to be able to sing with that kind of energy is was you, you know you maybe a little, like you sounded like the record at rehearsal. It so did, I'm yeah, like, it was sweet, funny. Man, we got done. Like, All right, that was pretty easy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we were. Um, so so you guys have been rehearsing now, um, and how have rehearsals been going? 
Good. Great. Good. Yeah, we got one. We've, we've next done two. Done, done two. two. We're ready, man. And honestly, yeah, we could. Probably, all I need. We could get up and do it right now. Honestly, yeah, we'd be fine. No problem. But, and. And well, yeah, we're gonna have one. We're gonna have one more right now. Before we got do it right now. Right now, yeah. I'd feel comfortable. I'd walk right on stage with these guys and play a show right now. Mm -hmm. You know, no problem. We but. did get to play for the uh, Oxford volleyball team, though. Yeah, that was something. great. <laughs> so our, our guitar player, Jeff, you know, he's got like studio set up at his house, too, where he's recorded some Beautiful Dirty American studio, stuff. Man. He recorded one of my bands there, and yeah, we were playing there, and his daughter, who's was 15, I, 16, yeah, Lola, and she had her whole volleyball team spend the night. It was hilarious. It was their the last tournament, playing. so... Finish the song. We turned around and there's a dozen girls in the control in the room. Control room. Woo! <laughs> Cheering. Like, oh, all right. Let's see if we still got this, man. You so know. Matt opens up the door so they could really hear us, and we had like a cheering section out yeah, there for a while, hilarious. like having a crowd at our second rehearsal. Our, you know, our test crowd. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, they're gonna love this. You know, all these girls that love Cardi B and whoever else, and see what they think of this. And we just we pulled out the heaviest one we had and. That was cool. They, yeah, they were all screaming. Oh, they, were, and they were going nuts. It was she, hilarious. She yeah. just played. She just played. Played. She just played "Payback" by Slayer. Right, so. right. Raining yeah, blood. the one that goes, "I'm gonna rip your fucking eyes yeah. out, your fucking flesh <laughs> off, rip you up too." Just like I remember first, like early on, the freshman year, I was in my dorm, like my dorm. My doors open because you know it's. New college. Yeah. And I had that song playing on the right screen. And I look outside and it's just two girls like staring at me with yeah. the most disturbed look on their face. I came to the wrong school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so um, I got to ask though. So I know it's labeled as a one night only, the reunion, but. Are you guys? Would you guys consider doing more shows? Maybe if if, if this if the one here rebels at November yeah, we'll goes well. We'll see how this one goes. I know. A uh, guy that used to tour with us that basically runs the intersection now. He's the talent buyer at the intersection. He's like, I can get you here. I can get you, you know, something like that. St. Andrews in Detroit, man. There could be some more shows. I'm like, well, let's just get through this one first, man. <laughs> but he he's going to come up and run lights for us because he, he toured with us and ran lights. And he's I'm going to bring some of the intersection lights up with me and <laughs> make it cool. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I think everybody'd be open to it. We'll just have to see what's going on, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like we're just kind of taking it step by step, not making huge plans, kind of seeing how things go. Like mm -hmm. I said, we never we didn't commit to a gig until we got together and rehearsed, and we're like, okay, we might have so a bunch of pissed off people after the show too. Goes. People driving from Detroit <coughs> or yeah. Chicago, and I couldn't even get in, man. You That's know? the only thing I'm worried about is Rebels yeah. is not huge, and yeah. it's it's a big night to begin with. Yeah, Nagazi draws. Good crowds, yeah, themselves. more than the room holds. So, for sure. I mean, just personal friends going, Get oh, dude, I'm coming, I'll be there. You know, guys, <laughs> people we haven't seen in 15 years, you know, business yeah. people, music people. I'm coming up for them, like, oh, man. get there early. I was hoping maybe some people would go, I can't make it, dude. You know, like, okay, well, let's not break the fire record again, guys. Yeah, yeah, fire code yeah. again, guys. Come on. Um, any new music planned, or no? No, we haven't, we haven't talked about writing anything yet, but. I know Jeff's got an absolute encyclopedia of songs on his computer that, you know, if we did say... Like they were to record and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. And he writes he writes everything from James Taylor to Slayer to... I mean, he's got mm -hmm. all of it, you know, like yeah. all the ideas. We could probably go, hey, we need a workhorse song. Well, let me open that folder, you know? <laughs> and, uh, let me get that riff folder here, open. see what you got for Hey, what do you guys think about this? Yeah. <laughs> so... So, um, I know you guys are kind of starting to get all active on social media. Where can people find more information about Workhorse or music or just info on anything Workhorse related? History, shows, whatever. Um, well, they did just start a Workhorse Facebook page. It's Workhorse Dopamine. It's kind of too. for the, the album, you know, kind yeah. of thing. It's not like we're actually saying, you know, it's Workhorse reunion to where we're going out and doing a ton of shows right. or anything. It was more for the record, I think, yeah. and to get it out there so people can hear it. Like, like you were saying, you know, you can't really stream it anywhere. It's not on Spotify. It's hard to find anywhere and it buy it. It will be, though, so soon, though. That's, the, that's our Spotify plan. Soon, yeah, Spotify that's why we're yeah. having it remastered. So what's on YouTube right now is that original disc that we recorded. Before it was remastered by Overture, okay. that's what it is. But the plan is to get it on streaming services. It's being remastered right now by White Elephant Records to by Jeremiah, yeah. by Jeremiah the drummer yeah. for Dirty Americans is remastering and then he'll you know he'll coordinate getting everything out mm -hmm. and 
but that's yeah. the Sons of Pioneer is available on Spotify. Under Correct. Yeah, course. iTunes, the whole deal. You know, I mean, it's yeah. so there's so. there's people that are going on there and commenting like, oh, that you know got hip to workhorse later during sons or whatever and they're like wow i never never, never knew this, this. existed yeah. this record existed yeah. i seen a guy yeah. coming on there the other day i'm talking know? to a, a guy that i know from france he's well he's from the uk now he's in france he's like i didn't even know this existed right. you know you look but on he, spotify you don't see it you, know, yeah. you don't see it anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so yeah and that's the big uh, thing is to get it out there so people can hear it i mean even if it's just the people that dug it back then you can actually listen mm -hmm. to it again get familiar with it and New people here, whatnot. All right. And then, um, guys looking forward to most about Rebels performing again? Am I looking for most about it? Look As, forward to most about it, yes. Oh, man. I, I think can, I think it's going to be a great humble. time. I mean, I love playing live, show, and man. I think it's going to be a great time. I've, I mean, I love that record and the energy, and if it's anything like it used to be in the 90s when we played there, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be fun, a lot of fun. Yeah. The That's lights. I can't wait for the lights. Yeah, and the cool we lights. Go in and let them, they let us mess <laughs> with the lights and turn things the way we want to and bring our own stuff in and yeah. turn it into, you know, people that have been in there a million times, like, whoa, this place looks way different tonight, yeah. you know? So, new media is playing that night. They're going to open the show. They're a local band, cool guys, friends of ours. And then there'll be Workhorse playing second. And then Nagazi's going to round out mm -hmm. the night. So. We get to hang we're out. playing seconds so that we can we hang, get to out. hang out afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> like, hi, right, man, we earned the right to play at five o'clock if we want to or whatever. So yeah. they, asked us, they asked us what slot we wanted. We want a second. Cause right in the middle. We're going to hang out afterwards. Play like 11 to 12 and then hang out with our friends. And Looking forward to seeing a lot of friends. 10, correct? <clears throat> I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Probably should, get there, probably should get there about three. <laughs> you know, if you want to make there, sure. Maybe there's space available. Maybe there's tickets yeah. to the from, from my understanding, there probably won't be, but if you can, make it over here on Mount Pleasant on November 27th. And right. I think that wraps everything up. That was a lot longer than I expected. Yeah, that was really, cool, I had a lot of fun talking to you guys. We yeah, appreciate you guys coming forward. Thank you, know. you very much. Yeah, no, for well, sure. Of course. Excellent. Um, again, like I said, you can go check out the music on YouTube and Spotify. Um, and yeah, I don't think I have anything else. So thank you all for listening. And as always, good night, Detroit. Testing, one, two, one, two. Do you suffer from erectile dysfunction? I don't hear a problem with this at all. I was making a, I, I, I make the joke every time, it's just, you know, um, do you suffer from erectile dysfunction? I make that joke every time yeah, I come yeah. on here. One day I actually wanted to do an actual ad, ad for that. I'm happy to say <laughs> so. I do not suffer from that. <laughs>